Well, good morning. Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be today if you have a Bible. Luke chapter 1. We are continuing this series called Down to Earth, and the reason that we've called the series Down to Earth is because that's what happens at Christmas. At Christmas, the God who is exalted and greater than us comes down to earth to save us. And if we are going to experience him in a real and redemptive way in our lives, then we've got to come down to earth too. That's what this series is about. Uh, I love in the video with the Brenners where they talk about how before they came into a relationship with Jesus, they both had to humble themselves. And that is true. Isn't it true that humility is, is the thing in a relationship that, that opens the door? Pride is like a wall that divides people, but humility is like a door that opens up the possibility for a relationship And that's what we're going to see um, in today's text, that God has done something humble by coming down to earth. And if we are going to respond in a way that is meaningful and redemptive, then we also have to come down too. So that's what we're going to see today. Last week, we looked at this man named Zechariah and his story. Today, we're looking at this woman named Mary. You've probably heard of her. And the next week, we'll look at the shepherds. Sound good? So Luke chapter one, what we're going to do is walk through the story and then we're going to ask two questions. All right. So Luke chapter one, we're going to start in verse 26. The first two verses today give us the setting for Mary's story. So Luke chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So this tells us when this took place. It says in the sixth month. What sixth month is it talking about? Well, last week we talked about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, and God came to them and said, "Um, you're going to have a son. And that was impossible news to them because they were both very old. And yet God said, this is exactly what's going to happen. And the fact that they were having a son was not just good news for them. It was good news for the whole nation. And the reason is because the angel said that this son that they were going to have was going to be a prophet who would prepare the way for the Messiah. So the fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth were having a son meant that the Messiah was coming which was good news, not just for them, but for everyone. And so last week it said that for the first five months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she was in seclusion by herself. And now it's the sixth month of her pregnancy. And we'll see that again in just a minute. So that's when it takes place. It also tells us where. It says in Galilee, in a town called Nazareth. Galilee is in northern Israel. You can still go to the city of Nazareth today. It's very pretty there. And then it also tells us about Mary. It tells us us a few things about her. First, it says that she was a virgin. It says that she was engaged to a man named Joseph. It says that Joseph was from the house of David, or his family line could 
trace itself back to David. The reason that is significant is because David's line is the line that the Messiah is supposed to come from. And so the fact that this son is going to be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that means the Messiah is on the way, and now it's letting us know this person is engaged to somebody from David's line. It's like, okay, well, wait a minute. This is the family the Messiah should come to. And it tells us her name was Mary. So that's the setting. Here's what happens. Verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, but she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now, what's weird to me about this is it says that she was deeply troubled. That's probably better translated deeply confused. She doesn't know why this angel would come to her and say, greetings, favored woman. God's with you. And what's weird to me is that she thinks that's weird because if God, if if an angel came to you and said that, or an angel came to me and said that, we'd probably be like, that sounds right. You know, thank you. You know, I am favored. (laughs) And thanks. Uh, It's good to be with you too. You know, Um, we wouldn't be that surprised by this. And yet Mary is deeply confused why this angel would come with this message to her. And then it says that she was wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And the word wondering is actually an accounting term. It's actually a term that means to balance an account or to calculate precisely. Which means that she is thinking here. She's using her brain. She's not, this is not a woman who just has her head in the clouds and is just taking a leap of blind faith here when something supernatural happens. Instead, this is a woman who's down to earth. She's thinking. And she can't understand why an angel would come with a message for her. Why? Because there was something about the way that Mary viewed herself that was extremely down to earth. She was humble. She didn't think too highly of herself. She didn't take herself super seriously. And so she is wondering, why does this angel want to talk to me? And the angel has a message for verse 30. Then the angel told her, she's wondering, why is he here? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. The angel says, you are going to have a son, and that son is going to be a king from the line of David who will reign over all things forever. And he's going to be the son of God. The son of the Most High is going to come down to earth in your womb. And Mary, being the down-to-earth person that she is, 
is thinking, uh, verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And that's a pretty good question. <laughs> the, the angel's message here, apparently, you know, he's not saying, hey, in 10 years, you're gonna have this son, to which she would have gone, yeah, I could maybe see that. But the angel's message implies this is going to happen like soon. And she's going, um, I'm a virgin. So how am I going to get pregnant? The angel answers, verse 35. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36, and consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. The angel says, you're right, ordinarily you would not have a kid. But God is going to do something powerful. He's going to display his creative power and he's going to make you pregnant. And if that sounds crazy, think about Elizabeth, your relative. People said she wasn't going to have kids either. But now she is conceived in her old age. Why? Because nothing is impossible for God. And so Mary is thinking about these things and she just responds here with a simple act of trust. She says in verse 38, See, I'm the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now, Mary is a teenager, most likely in this story. She's 13, 14, 15 years old. Think about how much this story would have completely rocked her world. Think about how much this conversation would have changed things for her. Have you ever had a conversation that rocked your world? That's this moment for her. And what she does next, I think, is so, so wise. What she does next, as she's experienced this thing that's hard to believe, she's a thoughtful woman, so she's thinking this through, the next thing she does is go see an older, wiser woman to talk about it. So here's what she does in verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, this is in the south, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me? Listen to this. That the mother of my Lord should come to me. Verse 44, for you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Do you see what happens? Mary goes, she visits this older, wiser woman, Elizabeth. Elizabeth hears her greeting, and the baby inside of her that's six months old in there jumps, moves, kicks. And that is a normal thing that happens during pregnancy. But in this moment, Elizabeth interprets it as this baby is responding to Mary. And she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she realizes there's something more going on here. She realizes that Mary is pregnant with her Lord. Now think about that. Elizabeth is a faithful Jew. We learned that in the text last week. So she knows the Hebrew scriptures. She believes that there is only one God and he is not a human. And yet she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she realizes in this moment that Mary is carrying her Lord. And so she says, blessed are you among women. And then Mary, and then she she offers this Encouragement to Mary. Verse 45, I love this. She says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Listen to that again. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what was spoken to her. See, both of these women have received some impossible news. Elizabeth, you're going to have a kid even though you're super old. You thought you were past those days. Mary, you're going to have a kid even though you're super young and you've never been with a man. And Elizabeth, full of the Holy Spirit, says, you know, the one who believes that God will do what he said he'll do is blessed. And that is still true today. And it's this encouragement from Elizabeth that causes Mary to reflect on everything that she's been experiencing. And as part of her time with Elizabeth, Mary writes this song. And she writes this poem or this song in response to what God has done for her. This is beautiful. I love how thoughtful she is. Here's what she says. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 48, Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. And has that been true? Yeah. Verse 49, Because... The mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. 
He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned home. Now, what I love about Mary is, I've just been reading uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2, um, a bunch because I've been preparing for this series and also it's Christmas time and so it's kind of nostalgic and fun to read. And I'm just so impressed with her. And that seems like an understatement. I mean, it's Mary, right? Um, but Mary is so thoughtful. She's such a deep thinker. Three or four times in, in the story going into in chapter one and chapter two, It says that she was pondering something or she was wondering about something or she was treasuring something up in her heart or she was thinking deeply. You can't accuse Mary of just having blind faith. She's somebody who's, she's a deep thinker. She reflects on life and I love that about her. And as she is reflecting on this event, this song that she writes taps into the whole point of this series. It's that God is doing something for humanity. And by God coming down to earth, he's demonstrating humility and he's also creating a new pattern that will flip the world upside down. So that those who are exalted on thrones and think highly of themselves and trust in themselves, they're going to be brought low. But those who are humble, those who will come down to earth, those who will trust in the Lord will be exalted. And so she taps into the fact that there's this reversal that's taking place. There's this transition that's happening. God is coming down to earth. And those who will come down with him will be exalted. That's what Mary's tapping into. And so here's the two questions that I want to consider briefly in light of her story. First, how did God come down to earth? In this text, it says that the Son of the Most High is going to be in Mary's womb. So how is God going to come down to earth? That's the first question. The second question is how should we come down to earth in response to God coming down to earth? What does that mean? That's what I want to talk about. So first, how did God come down to earth? I want you to see three things briefly in the text. First, when God came down to earth, he came into the family of David. He came into the family of David. Why is that significant? Because in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7 Isaiah chapter 11, Jeremiah 23, there are these promises that God is going to send a Messiah through David's line. David is going to have a king from his line whose kingdom will never end. That's significant because David's family was completely unfaithful to God. He was a decent king, but the rest of the people who followed him they ended up ruining the kingdom. And that's what resulted in them all being exiled. That's what we talked about in the book of Isaiah. The people lost their kingdom. God says, 
when I come to earth, I'm coming into the family of David because I intend to keep the promises that I made to him. The reason that's good news is because even when they were faithless, God was faithful to them. And that means he'll be the same way for you. God was faithful to keep his promise to David and he'll be faithful to you. That's why it's good news that he came into the line of David. It's also significant that he came into the line of David because it shows us that when God came down to earth, it was not in just kind of a, an ethereal way or like, oh, God's coming down to be with his people. Let's all sing songs. And No, he came down like in a real way. He came down into a family who had a history. So God, how did he come down to earth first? He came into the line of David. Second, he came in the person of Jesus. He came in the person of Jesus. Now, that's significant for a number of reasons, and for us to talk about them, we've got to go deep here for a minute, all right? When we talk as Christians about God, we're talking about a triune God, or we use the word the Trinity to describe God. And here's what we affirm when we affirm the Trinity. First, that there is one God. There is one God who has always existed and will always exist. He is eternal and he is distinct from his creation. There is one God over all things. And yet, that one God has always existed and will always exist as three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each of those persons is truly God. The Father is not more God than the Son. The Son is not more God than the Spirit. Each person is truly God. So when we talk about God as Christians, that's what we're referring to. Sometimes this is referred to as the Godhead. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and they are each truly God. People try to use uh, different analogies to help people understand this. You can think about uh, water, solid liquid gas, that's fine. Um, the three-leaf clover, it's one thing, but it's got three leaves. My favorite illustration is uh, the, uh, when you think about music, you've got uh, three distinct notes. When you put them together, Father, Son, Spirit, they become a chord. And then when the sun goes down, it becomes a minor chord. Uh, it's kind of cool. Um, so those analogies are all fine, but um, they all, n- none of them can do justice to this idea that there is one God, three distinct persons, each person is truly God. Now here's why you have to understand that. Because that God who is distinct from his creation, he's not part of creation, he made creation. Creation has a beginning, but God has no beginning. God has always been distinct from his creation and yet present with his creation, but in the person of Jesus, the God who is distinct from his creation is choosing to become part of his creation. The second person of the Trinity, the Son, is choosing to take on humanity. 
So in the Trinity, you've got one divine nature and three distinct persons. With Jesus, you have one person with two distinct natures. He's divine and he's human. He is truly God and he is truly man. Now what's significant about that, and there's a lot we could say, but when Jesus enters Mary's womb, when he becomes an embryo, he was not being created in that moment. He has always existed. But he is taking on humanity in that moment. His humanity is being formed in that moment by the Holy Spirit. Here's why all of this stuff matters. Here's why you gotta understand that about Jesus. Because the reason Jesus becomes a human and takes on flesh The reason it's important to know that Jesus is truly God and he's truly man is because that's the only way that he could be the mediator who could save you. In order to accurately represent both parties, he's got to be truly God and truly man. This is why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus can save us from our sins because he is truly God and he is truly man. That's why it's important. The other reason it's important is because if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like, the God who made all things? You want to know what he's like? Look at Jesus. And here's why this is significant for you, especially if you're spiritual but not religious. If you're curious about faith, but you're not convinced, here's why this is significant. It is possible for you to connect with the spiritual realm or the spiritual world apart from Jesus. But the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, which means that if you really want to experience the divine, you got to come to Jesus. When God came down to earth, he came in the person of Jesus, which means that the road that leads to divinity goes only through him. And here's the third thing that we see about how God came down to earth. He came into the line of David. He came in the person of Jesus. And here's the third. He came through the virgin birth. He came through a virgin birth. What we affirm in the virgin birth is that the Holy Spirit created the humanity of Christ inside of Mary. Jesus has no human father. His humanity is true and real, but uniquely created. And here's why this matters. Here's why it's important for us to affirm the virgin birth. The virgin birth one author says it like this, that it stands like a, like a guard to the door of the gospel. It's like a sign written above the door that leads to the gospel that says, what follows is not normal. 
We can't come and study Jesus on purely human terms like we would study some other historical figure because the claims about Jesus begin even at his birth. From the very beginning of Jesus' story, the claim is that there's something different about him. There's, there's something supernatural about him. If you can't get past the virgin birth, what are you going to do in just a couple chapters when he grows up and he's healing people and he's casting demons out of people? What are you going to do when he's, he, he's giving sight to blind? What are you going to do when he walks on the water? What are you going to do when he calms the storm? What are you going to do when he goes to the cross and bears the weight for humanity? What are you going to do with the resurrected Jesus? The Jesus who ascended to be with his father after he was raised from the dead. See, from the very outset of Jesus' story, from the very beginning of the gospel, the virgin birth says, hey, what follows is not normal. It's supernatural. So what do we know about the God who came down to earth. How did he come down to earth? He came down into the line of David in the person of Jesus through a virgin birth. How should we respond to that news? What does it mean for us to come down to earth ourselves? What does that mean? I think Mary is a great example for us to follow. Three things. One, for us to respond to this news about this God-man, we've got to come down to earth with our minds. We've got to come down to earth with our minds. Here's what I mean. Mary is not just taking a blind leap of faith. She's thinking. Christianity is not a faith where in order to get in, you have to check your brain at the door. But it is a faith where you've got to acknowledge that the person that we're dealing with, the God that we're approaching, he is infinitely smarter than we are. And there will be things that may not make sense. Does that mean that you check your brain at the door? Absolutely not. See, I think that we've got to walk through this, we've got to walk this line and avoid ditches on both sides. One ditch is the ditch that says, hey, if you have any questions or ever have any doubts, there's something wrong with you. And the church is certainly not a place where you should bring up any of your questions or any of your doubts. So just pretend to believe. We, we want to avoid that ditch. Because think about this. Have you ever just really thought about some of these things that we just said that we affirm? This is like basic Christianity. This is not like, you know, once you get in, like you start learning, yeah, we believe in the Trinity. This is like baseline. This is like at the door of the gospel. If, if, if the Christian faith has never just caused you to go, what in the world? Then I don't know if you've wrestled with it. Questions and doubts should be expected with news like this. But there's another ditch that I think we need to avoid. And the ditch on this side is what's really popular in our society uh, today. And that ditch is the ditch that says, what's really great is to deconstruct your faith and to just always live in doubt. We can't really know anything. 
Christianity being part of a religion, that just requires faith. But if you have reason and if you think, then you won't be part of that. Reason is what you use to leave the, the religion. Faith is what you use to enter the religion. We want to avoid that ditch as well. While we need to acknowledge that questions and doubts are normal and should be expected, and there's freedom to talk about those things, especially in a community of faith. We want to avoid the position that says truth is unknowable and we've got to question everything, and here's why. Because there's a way to ask questions and doubt that's humble and open-minded, and there's a way to question and doubt that's closed-minded and proud. And if we approach Christianity as if faith is beneath us, like I'm up here and that's beneath me, smart people don't think like that. First of all, it's just arrogant because there's brilliant people. Some of the greatest minds in the history of the world are Christians. But it's also an arrogant posture that puts you as the judge of God. And I think Mary's advice to us would be, look, I had to think deeply. But I also had to be open-minded. So when you ask questions, something for you to consider. Are you asking as someone who's open-minded and wants to learn and grow? Or are you asking as a critic who wants to critique faith because it's beneath you? If we are going to experience Jesus, the God who came down to earth, then we've got to come down to earth with our minds. We can't think that we're up here and faith is beneath us. We've got to come down with our minds. Here's the second thing. Our heart must come down to earth. We've got to come down to earth with our heart. Here's what I mean by this. Mary is not just someone who's thinking deeply. She writes this song and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. This isn't just an intellectual exercise for her. This is personal. And listen, when you think about Jesus, if he's just someone who came for sinners, he's not going to make a difference in your life. He won't make a difference in your life until you come to see that he came to save me. He didn't just come for sinners. He came for sinners like me. And until that dawns on you, that apart from him, you are a sinner who deserves God's judgment. And Jesus won't be meaningful to you. But if your heart will come down, you'll embrace him. 
And when you see, when your heart comes down, here's the third thing that can happen. Is your will must come down too. Your will, your plans must come down to earth too. Think about Mary's life for just a minute. She's a teenager. I don't know what the ancient world was like. I don't know what kind of hopes and dreams she had. You know, she was going to get married and they were going to walk to the well and bring the water back together. I don't know what, their, what her dreams were, all right? But whatever they were, they're ruined now. Because there's all this shame that she's going to have to deal with and all this embarrassment and all this drama because why the heck is she pregnant? They're not married. And this child who's coming into her life is going to grow up and be publicly mocked, spit on, beaten, and executed. Now, if you're a mom, imagine having to watch one of your children go through that. That is a horrifying experience. Had God not shown up and said, you know what, you're going to have this child, she's never going to experience that. She's going to be freed from that pain. But God shows up. And so she's going to have that pain. Now, on the surface, that doesn't sound very hopeful. <laughs> That's like, well, great. But let me, let me ask you something real quick. Have you ever been tempted to think that if, if you were to really surrender your life to God, that he's going to ruin your plans? I mean, that's what he did for Mary. That's what he did for Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. I mean, he does this. In the video, they talk about this, how they were never going to Honduras. And if that's your fear, then here's what I want to ask you. What kind of God do you have? See, if your God is an aloof boss who's just, you know, up in the office figuring things out and handing out orders. Or if your God is like an evil dictator who's just sending down orders from heaven, then maybe you have something to fear. But if your God is a loving father, if your God is a humble servant who is willing to come down to earth himself, what do you have to fear? See, Mary experienced more pain than she would have, perhaps, had God not come down and changed her plans. But she also got to be part of a bigger story. She also got to be called blessed by all generations. There was a blessing to be had for having her plans ruined. And what if the same were true for you? See, the reason that we can come down to earth and open up our lives to the Lord and say, God, I want to go wherever you will send me. I want to do whatever you would have for me. 
is because that's what our God has done for us. When Jesus came to the earth, he grew up to serve. And on the night before he was betrayed, he was having the last supper with his friends. He stands up from the table and he gets down and he begins to wash their feet. Then he goes to a garden and he prays. And he's in complete agony because he knows he's about to experience the wrath of God in the place of sinners like you and like me. And he says, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, then let's go with that plan. And yet, not what I will, but what you will be done. And his resolve in that moment is what secured your hope. And it's because that you have a savior who has done that, that you can look at him and say, just as Mary said, see, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done just as you have said.